Well, good morning again, and welcome to Mount Calvary Church. My name is Matt Watson, and I'm the lead pastor, and we're grateful that we can come together and worship, and I'm getting the cue. The kids are leaving. You don't even need me. Go ahead, kids. You're welcome. I appreciated the songs that we were able to sing this morning, the heart of worship. That'll transport you back a little. I remember church camp where I put my faith in Christ, weeping over that song. And so it's a special song, uh, but we are glad that we could be here together, that we can worship. I want to just kind of catch you up on where we are. We're in a series called The Discipleship Journey. And if you're new here or you've missed a couple of weeks, uh, over the last six to nine months, the elders of this church, the staff of this church, the pastors of this church, we've almost had a, almost like a midlife crisis as a church where we've looked at what we're doing. We said, what, what are we doing? We've been reading a book on the Great Commission. So Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. And we're reading this book, and we're looking at the Great Commission, and we're asking ourselves, is this what we're doing as a church? Are we doing this? I mean, this is Jesus's final words to the disciples, one of his last commands given to these disciples. And, and we realize this isn't just a command that was given to these disciples so many years ago, but this is the command given to the church today, the gathering disciples of the church right now. And so as staff and elders and pastors, we, we've, we've asked ourselves, how are we doing this? Are we doing everything we're to be doing as God's church, Christ's church, to, to fulfill and obey this command? And as we, as we thought about it, through introspection and looking at what we're doing, it wasn't, the conclusion wasn't we are, we are failures. We are not doing any of this. Um, as a church, we, we preach God's word and we offer ministries that lead people to Jesus and we send missionaries and we're generous. And so the answer wasn't we are failing, but our conclusion was we need to focus on this. We need to be more intentional, strategic, precisely thinking through how might we be good stewards of our time and our people and our resources that we might be a church that makes disciples who then go and makes other disciples. A food illustration to kind of capture where we felt like we, we were. Uh, we felt like we were more like a buffet. Uh, I don't know if you're a buffet person, as opposed to a seven-course meal. Okay, I don't know if you like buffets. We were at, recently at a buffet. We went to um, a sight and sound show, and there's a buffet right down, right next to it, the Hershey Farm Buffet. Have you been to the Hershey Farm Buffet? It's pretty good. It's completely overwhelming. Um, hundreds and hundreds of choices. And what happens at a buffet, and you know, you can really pick and choose what you want to do. So if you want an Amish dinner, you can get your brown butter noodles, your ham balls, and whatever else you want to eat. With, you can go and get it in this buffet. There were people that wanted to get a little fancy, and there was, there was prime rib that they could have freshly sliced for them. There was seafood, shrimp, and crab legs. There was lasagna. There was soup and salad. There were tons of desserts. And what you do at a buffet, you say, well, I'm going to eat whatever I want to eat. If I want lasagna, then I'll have lasagna. And it's up to each person. And we felt like as a church, not that we were offering so many different things, but we felt like people come to church and say, well, how do I want to live for Jesus? 
How do I want to do that? Maybe I'll attend the service. Maybe I'll serve. Maybe I'll go to a class. Maybe I'll support a missionary. And there was lots of different things. And people come to church. And this isn't a bad thing necessarily. But kind of everyone was doing their own thing. How do I want to walk with Jesus and grow with Jesus? I'll pick and choose between what Mount Calvary Church offers. And again, the, the conclusion wasn't that we're missing the mark completely. But the conclusion was we want, to be, we want to be more focused than just a buffet where you can come and do whatever you want. We want to be more like a seven-course meal. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a seven-course meal. They're a little fancy, okay? My first job was at an Italian restaurant. One of my first jobs was at an Italian restaurant in Richmond, Virginia. I was a busboy. I was an olive boy. It was a fancy restaurant. And I would deliver a dish of olives at every table. Yeah, dressed up, had a nice suit on, and cleared these tables. And what we would, for New Year's Eve, we would scrape the menu, and we would say, this is, this is the offering for New Year's Eve. And it was a very expensive, seven specific courses leading up to the main dish and to the dessert. And so you didn't have an option. Um, you would come and enjoy these seven different courses. Okay, but it was very intentional. We had a great chef with the appetizer and the salads and the risotto and the, the main dish and the dessert, and everything was laid out so that you would, you would go on this journey with your, with your taste buds, experiencing what this chef wanted you to experience. And it's delicious and very expensive. I've said that like four or five times. I'm not advocating for these fancy dinners, uh, but I do enjoy them. Okay, as a church, we're saying... What if we were more focused, where instead of being a buffet where people come and choose anything that they'd like, we said, we want to follow Jesus as his, as his disciple. And here's, here's the course, here's the journey, here's the way, because again, this is Jesus's command to us, go and make disciples. And so as, as elders and pastors, I mean, we started, we started thinking, how can we be precise with this? Okay, and, and so we kind of came to the conclusion, like, well, before we go and make disciples, we've got to know what does it mean to become a disciple? Like, how do you enter into discipleship? What does it mean to become a Christian, to be a believer? And that seems, perhaps that seems simple, but it's not. Churches don't talk about it enough. And so we talked about faith. What does it mean to put your faith in Jesus Christ? We talked about what baptism has to do with faith. And so then we said, okay, you've become a disciple. Well, how do you grow as a disciple? Like, if you're going to make disciples of someone else, of all nations, of all people, then you need to know, what are you making? Like, what's that look like? And so we, we started thinking through, well, what does a disciple do? So we want to help you become one, put through faith in Jesus alone, but then we want to help you to grow as a disciple so that you know what you're making when you go to all nations. And so for us, this, the, the way that we kind of did this was we said, well, what does the disciples, what do the disciples do? We didn't start with the church. We didn't start with practices that Christians do today. We started with the first disciples. What did they do? How can we do this as well? And so 
And then we'll get there. Then once we become one and we know how to become one and we, now we know what, what does a follower of Jesus do, then we can go and start talking to others about joining us in this discipleship journey. And so within this growing as a disciple, we've come up with habits and we've been talking about these habits and that's where we want to continue our study this morning. And this morning we want to talk about the habit of fasting occasionally. So let's pray and we'll jump into the word. Father, we're thankful. We're thankful for your word. And your word is our guide. And it teaches us and it convicts us through the power and the working of your Holy Spirit. God, and we want to be obedient. I want to be obedient to you because you're worthy of my life, my time, and my resources. And it's the same true with this church. And so, God, we come to you now as we think through living obediently to the Great Commission, that you would help us, help us to be disciples, disciples of you, who have these habits of of people who follow you. And so, God, I pray that you would work in our hearts and in our lives, that you would convict us and encourage us as we think about fasting, God. This is a tough one. So, God, I pray that you would convict us where we need to be convicted, teach us and lead us where we need to be led encourage us where we need to be encouraged, because we all come into this room this morning with different things on our shoulders, things on our hearts, things coming up this week, God, and we, we bow before you and say, lead us, shape us, that we may be obedient disciples of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name this morning, amen. So like I said, we, we start with the word. And it's just interesting what you learn. It's like, what does the disciple do in this book where I'm not interested in what's popular and what's not popular? I'm not interested in what I'm doing and what I'm not doing. I'm interested in what does the disciple do? And of all of the habits, this was the most fascinating. Fasting. Here we have the audacity of the seven habits to pick one that's pretty much non-existent in the church today. I mean, who preaches on fasting? Who teaches on fasting? Who talks about fasting? Pastor Matt, don't you love food? Don't you talk about food all the time? Yes, I love food. Ever since I moved to Lancaster County, the baking capital of the world, listen, I love food. Somebody came into our office just a couple weeks ago and dropped a box of Long John's. You know Long John's from Achenbach's? Okay, where I grew up, Long John's was fast food, seafood. Not the best. So I was not too thrilled about this box in our office. The Long John's are these pastries, better than donuts. It's not even close. Vanilla and chocolate and peanut butter. Not to get, I don't want to get, yeah, controversial this morning, but amazing donut-like things that are so good. It's like, why are we talking about fasting? I mean, this is foreign practice. We don't know how to fast. We don't know why would we fast. It is so countercultural to fast. It's not just in the world. It's countercultural in the church to talk about fasting. And I would imagine that, that a lot of people in this room this morning would say, I've never fasted. I've never fasted for any amount of time, for anything, for any reason. And for those of us who have fasted, you'd probably say, the one time I fasted, 
I was cranky, I was not happy about it, I wasn't more spiritual, and I'm not doing it again. Okay, and so this, this, is, this is fascinating to me. And so here's how I want to think through fasting this morning. What's, what's the case for fasting? What's the method for fasting? What's the reward for fasting? And I have to start with the case. Like this is the only habit I have to try to convince you that this is where God's word is taking us. Bible study and prayer and giving or serving, which we'll talk about next week. Those are, I feel like, given, but I have to make a case for this because it's just not, it's not talked about in the church. And so let's, let's start with making a case. What's the case for fasting? Like prove it to me in God's word that I am to be doing this today, okay? Okay, let's look in the Old Testament. Okay, every year on the Day of Atonement was the only called for fast in the, in the Old Testament. One day a year, Israel was to fast in preparation for the Day of Atonement. So I'm not gonna read all the passages, but it's Leviticus 23, 27. And what the people would do is, as, the sin, as their sin would be atoned for and forgiven in preparation for that, they were, call, they were called to fast. In other words, to mourn for their sin, to be broken over their sin. And one of the ways that, one thing that helped them in this was through fasting, being afflicted through hunger pains and saying, I'm afflicted, I'm hungry. And they would translate that into affliction and sorrow for their sins. You see in the Old Testament, fastings in, a fasting in times of national emergency. Second Chronicles 21 through four, King Jehoshaphat, he's the king of Israel. And he gets word, he gets the message that these hordes of warriors are coming at him from the sea and from land. And the king looks at his situation and he recognizes we are completely surrounded. And he seeks the Lord, the text tells us. And what does he do after he seeks the Lord? He calls for a national fast. Everyone, no more eating and and start praying. We are in danger. You see a fast in the minor prophet Joel. We talked about this summer. Joel confronting Israel over their sin as he's calling them to come back to to the Lord. He says in Joel 2, fast and repent of your sin. With being broken over your sin, fast, stop eating, mourn, spend some time mourning over the sins that you're pursuing. Nineveh fasted. When Jonah went to Nineveh, he preaches the message, the gospel of, for, for them. He, he, they hear the message. They respond. Okay, it's a quick and easy message of Jonah. It's like a one sentence. They, re, they respond and they believe in God. And out of their belief and out of their worship for this God they've just been told about, they fast in their worship. Ezra fasts. In, in, in returning from the exile, this is Ezra 8. This is a great passage. Israel was in Babylon, coming out of exile, going back home. And Ezra's looking at the journey ahead, and he's looking at all the kids, all the things that they're carrying, and he says, we need to fast and we need to pray. Specifically, he says, let's fast and pray for our kids. When was the last time we fasted and prayed for our kids. That's what Ezra does. Moses fasts at Mount Sinai. Elijah fasts. Esther fasts. 
David fasts for his son that he has with Bathsheba. Daniel fasts. I mean, fasting is a theme that you see through the Old Testament, and it continues into the New Testament. Anna the prophetess in the Christmas story with Jesus. She's, what is, she's anticipating the coming one. In Luke 2, it says she went, to the, she went to the temple day and night praying and fasting, anticipating the coming one, the one who would come to save the world. So Anna fasts. You see the first church in Acts fasts. Acts 13 and Acts 14. You can read the two chapters. Both of these churches, all these churches, they're fasting as they send Paul and Barnabas as missionaries. What do they do? They pray and they fast. They say, we will not eat food and instead we will pray for what God's going to do through these two men. As Paul was establishing churches in Acts 13 and and Acts 14, um, they would choose elders, pastors, to shepherd the churches. And he'd just pray for these people. He called all these different churches, pray and fast as you choose the, the shepherds of your church. So they prayed and they fasted. Jesus fasted. Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights right before he started his ministry. And so for us, as, as we think about fasting, is there a case? Okay, well, there's, a, there's certainly a case that you see fasting happen, but the question you have to ask when reading God's word is, is, is that normative for us today? Like, it's great that they do it. That happened. But is there a case that says that we should still be fasting today? Well, let's look at the teaching of Jesus specifically, which I think is the strongest case for us to be fasting today. Matthew 6, 16 through 18. If you could turn there, it's the, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Famous passage. I mean, a famous set of teachings of Jesus. And it's, it's comical to me that this is, the, like, this is just completely overlooked. Verse 16, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay, so I want, if you're looking down in your text, if you have a pen with you, I want you to underline something for me. So if you grab a quick, grab a pen if you want to. Okay, I want you to underline Verse 16, when you fast. Okay, that same phrase, underlined it in verse 17. When you fast. It's the second time. Okay, now go down to verse 18. This is a heavy assignment here. Verse 18, underline, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay, you following along? Now, This is a long assignment here. We're going backwards a little bit. I want you to go back to verse 3 of chapter 6. Okay, underline this first phrase, but when you give to the needy. Verse 3. Then, verse 4, your father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay, now, verse 5, underline... When you pray, okay, now jump to verse six. 
your father who sees in secret will reward you. You with me? I don't even have to make the point. The point's been made. Jesus says, when you pray, when you give, when you fast. It's not an if you will. It's not if you're feeling up for it, then you can pray and fast and give. It's not if you have the time. It's not if you have the resources. If it's your spiritual gift, if you're feeling like it, it there's no if. It's, it's assumed that you will do these things. When you pray, when you give, when you fast. And these are secret habits or private habits. The Father in secret will reward you. Okay, what the, the Pharisees are doing these things publicly. They're giving in such a way, they're walking down the aisle, making noise, making a spectacle of how much they're giving. The, the Pharisees have taken the Old Testament law, where the law only says you have to fast one day a year. The Pharisees have twisted that to make themselves look more spiritual, and now the Pharisees are fasting every Monday and every Thursday of the week. And what are they doing? They're looking gloomy. They're making themselves look like they're struggling so much so that people will look at them and say, wow, look, look at how spiritual these people are. Look at the struggle they're having. Praying, how were they praying? They were speaking up loudly, praying these complex prayers so that people would hear them and think, wow, look at how spiritual those people are. And what Jesus is saying is, do these in the quiet of your home. But why don't we talk about fasting? Why do we never talk? I mean, hardly ever talk about fasting. Isn't it interesting? I mean, we pray a lot, don't we? I mean, Pastor Jonathan just preached a message on prayer just a few weeks ago, and he prayed, he, he worked through the Lord's Prayer. I mean, it's the most famous prayer ever. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. We recite the Lord's Prayer, we know the Lord's Prayer, we pray the Lord's Prayer. Think of all the emphasis on giving. When you pray, when you give, we talk about giving every single Sunday. Offering. We pray for people. We pray, we just gave a give, we just gave a giving update, a financial update. Every single Sunday we talk about giving because it's important. And we'll talk about giving and serving next week as another habit. But if we're gonna talk about prayer, we're gonna talk about giving, why don't we talk about fasting? It's with giving and it's with praying. It's included with the other two. And I think Jesus talks about it because it's something we're to be doing. Just like we're supposed to give and just like we are to pray, we're called to fast. Go ahead and turn to Matthew 9. I think this is probably the even stronger case for fasting today. If you're not convinced yet, uh, I think this is a pretty strong case for us to be fasting still today. Verses 14 through 17. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Okay, so here's kind of the backdrop here. John, okay, John had some disciples, people who followed John, who was preaching and teaching about the coming Messiah, and, and they were fasting as they anticipated the coming Messiah. And he said, look, we're not just like the Pharisees. In a lot of ways, we disagree on a lot of things, but here's one thing we agree on. We both fast. The Pharisees fasting twice a week, and they're looking at Jesus and his followers, and he's saying, so, so we're fasting, 
The Pharisees are fasting. Jesus, why aren't you fasting? Why aren't your followers fasting? And Jesus responds to them in verse 15. Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Then they will fast. Okay, so what Jesus is saying, he's saying, I am the groom, the church is my bride, and I'm here. The culture, this, this culture would celebrate a wedding for a week, and it was a, it was a massive party, eating and drinking and celebrating for seven days often. And what Jesus is saying is, the groom is here. It is the reception. It is the party. It is time to feast. It is time to sit and enjoy and to soak it in. But a time is coming when the groom will not be here. And when that groom is not here, and we know what he's talking about. They probably didn't really understand it completely. We know Jesus is saying, I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to die. I'm going to be resurrected, and I'm going to send to the Father. And I'm not going to be here in the same way. Okay, that's the when in Matthew 9. When I'm not with you, when I am taken away, that's ascending to the Father. When I'm not with you, then you will fast. Okay, why would we fast? Why are they fasting? In anticipation of the coming of the bride, of the groom. Anticipation, looking forward to the coming of Jesus again. So for those reasons... Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 9, Jesus is teaching, Jesus is practiced, the practice of the early church in Acts, the practice of the saints in the Old Testament. For that reason, I feel like the call for us today is to continue in fasting. Okay, and if you just, let's just consider the spiritual benefit of fasting. Okay, what, what is fasting? I should have defined this, this a long time ago. Abstaining from food or something for a spiritual purpose. So saying, I won't do this, eat this, use this for a purpose spiritually. So what's, what would be the spiritual purposes for fasting? In the, in the Bible, we've just talked about all sorts of different reasons. In, in national crisis, I mean, we have a national crisis. Choosing of leaders for kids, for all sorts of reasons. But let's just, let's just focus in for just a few minutes about the personal, spiritual benefits and rewards of fasting, okay? Fasting, what it does, it teaches us to lean into Christ. Now, I'm gonna read three passages. And I know, hopefully you're awake, you're with me. I just want you to just listen to the words of these passages. Just, just listen and I just, just think. Maybe you wanna close your eyes. Just, just think and ask yourself this question. Could I say what this writer of the Bible is saying. Could I express, and it be true of my life, if I were to say what this writer is about to say? Okay, Psalm 73, 25, and 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Ask yourself this question. Is Jesus 
your highest and your deepest, most sincere desire in your life. Or another way to ask it. And this, this has always convicted me. And I think this is what the psalmist is saying. Do you depend on Jesus? Like, do you, do you need Jesus day by day? Do you live in such a way that you need him? Or are you like the church in Laodicea? Revelation 3.17 that says, I am rich, I have everything I need. And, and then the, the, the last phrase in verse 17 of chapter 3, I need nothing. I'm rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing. Or are you like the psalmist that says, I need Jesus? Or how about 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5. For I, Paul speaking to the church, I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Is Jesus, his death for your sins, his burial, his resurrection, is it of first importance in your life? Is it the most important thing in your life? That's what Paul is saying. Forget everything else. This is the most important thing that I can possibly tell you. Treat it like it is. Jesus died for your sins. He was buried and he raised from the grave. First importance. Is he our most important thing in our life? Or how about the last one? Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Really interesting, this follows the fasting passage. Right, right after we're told when to fast, this is the passage. But here's the question. Do you treasure Jesus more than anything else? Do you treasure Jesus or do you treasure things and money and an idea, a, a dream? Who do you treasure? And so those are the three questions that I, I just quickly sketched out. Do you depend on Jesus, Psalm 73? Is he the most important thing to you, 1 Corinthians 15? And do you treasure him, Matthew 6? Because we should. He is, he is worthy. He is the worthy king. And what happens in life, living for him, trying to live for him, what happens is, is very subtly, very slowly sometimes, things and pleasure and sports and food and dreams and jobs and relationships and kids and parents and all these things kind of come in and sneak in and they dethrone Jesus from these three questions, the answers to these three questions. And we begin to create these crutches in our lives that we, we learn to depend on and things that, are, that we think are so important and we have these crutches. And what fasting does is it says, we will say no to these things so that we would learn to depend on Jesus, so that we can learn, so that we can make him the most important thing, and so that he can be our deepest treasure. Fasting helps us to do that. It forces us to do that. It pushes us to do it. 
And, and when, it, when just thinking through, well, 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 Matt, what's the method? Like, how, how would I do this? Well, I, I'm not as concerned about how you do this. I would say, I would say be creative with how do you want to grow? Okay, so let me give you some examples. It, it, these are the three examples I'm going to kind of use. Do you depend on him? Is he important to you? Do you treasure him? So perhaps you want to grow in trusting and depending on Jesus for everything. Let's say you have a big job interview coming up, or maybe a, a surgery coming up, or something for your kids coming up, and you tend to worry, and you want to control everything, okay? How would you fast in that situation to learn dependence? Well, maybe you'd say, uh, for 24 hours, from sunset, to, to, from sunset Thursday to sunset Friday, I'm going to abstain from eating food. And I'm going to learn through being hungry that I can depend on God. And as I learn to depend on God to live without eating food and praying, I'm learning to depend on him because I'm hungry. I'm learning also at the same time that if I can depend on him to make it through 24 hours without eating, then I can learn to depend on him for this surgery or for this job interview. Or maybe you want to, maybe you recognize, hey, Jesus isn't what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. He's not the most important thing. And maybe, you want to, maybe you're thinking, well, I'd love to grow in that area. And we do this at Lent every year. For those, for those weeks leading up to the resurrection, we say, he is the most important thing. How about for this fast, you can just, something that's valuable to you, say, I am going to abstain from this for this period of time. I'm going to, for these 40 days, I'm going to just, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take part of this stuff, whether it's music or social media or television or chocolate or whatever, soda, caffeine, all kinds of options, sleeping so much. I've seen all sorts of things where we say, Jesus is more important than my sleep. And so for this period of time, I'm going to not sleep as much and spend that time in prayer and in study and in thinking of Jesus. Okay, maybe you have something very specifically in mind, something important coming up, a missionary you want to pray for. Okay, Sanctity of Life Sunday, I was thinking how great would it be if we fasted as a church leading up to Sanctity of Life Sunday, which we don't talk about. We're going to talk about it. Praying for our nation. What if we did that? What if we said we're going to fast and pray for these big events? How, how might you do a partial fast for something like that? Well, I think you could say for, for four days, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip my lunch in my office or in my home. And instead of eating lunch, I'm going to spend that hour in prayer for our nation and for this election or for this surgery or for this missionary or for, this, for, for the unborn of our nation. And that's a partial fast. You're, not, you're, you're still eating breakfast, you're still eating dinner, but you're saying, I will, I will withdraw from food, I will abstain from food that I might pray for this. But what's the reward for fasting? So pick a way. And if you need help thinking through that, we'd love to, I'd love to, to brainstorm with you. But I don't think we need to be as specific on how, whether it's food or something else. But pray, think about where you want to grow, and I'd be happy to talk to you about that. But what's the reward for fasting? And we'll close with this. If you go back to Matthew 6, 16 through 18, I'll put it on the screen. Jesus, when he talks about praying, when Jesus talks about giving, and when Jesus talks about fasting, in all three he says, you will be 
rewarded. I don't know about you. I love rewards. I love that. What you gonna give me? Like this is great. This is a, there's something valuable. Like this for us as we think about fasting, it's it's really important to think about what is our expectation of the reward. Okay, we did a fast here at Mount Calvary. My first my first Easter with with us here for Lent, uh, and I I preached on fasting. I preached on Lent and what that meant. And when I, I challenged everyone to fast in some way in pre preparation for Easter Sunday, it was met with excitement. Like it was, I mean, the people, you guys were joyful and ready and eager and excited. Like, we can do this together. And listen, that lasted about a week. Two weeks in, that excitement over fasting became this funny kind of anger towards me, the pastor who made us do it. Like, it's your fault I'm not eating chocolate. You made me do this. I'm like, whoa, whoa, like easy. Because the reality is, what's the expectation of fasting? It's important to recognize that it's not easy. Like when you, when you exercise in self-denial, saying no to things you want for spiritual purposes, it's not going to be easy. And so that shouldn't be your expectation. You will struggle. You will have some regrets. It will be hard. It will be stretching. But there's a part of fasting, but that's, that's the point, that as you struggle, you learn to depend on Jesus in a way that you haven't depended on him. And as you miss this or that, or you're hungry, you're learning that you can depend on him. What's the reward of fasting? I think if you go back to the Lord's Prayer, it's, it's getting an answer to the Lord's Prayer. What is how does Jesus teach us to pray? What, is, what are the requests that, that he makes, he teaches us to make in the Lord's Prayer? Hallowed be your name. Okay, your kingdom come, your will be done. What happens when you fast? You see the Lord's Prayer answered in your own life. You hallow Jesus' name in a way that you've not hallowed it. You see his kingdom come. You see the king come who sits on your throne in your own life. You see that happen when you fast that these other things aren't kings, they don't rule your life, that Jesus is the ruler of your life. And when you fast, you learn that Jesus' kingdom can come now here in my life. And you see his will be done. So what's the reward? It's Jesus, it's him, it's more of him. And it's not gonna be easy and it's not gonna be warm and it's not gonna always be the greatest thing ever, but it teaches us that he is all that we need. And so I, I don't know how you're supposed to fast or what that looks like. It doesn't have to be all the time, maybe. And so I leave that between you and God. It's not to be all the time. That's one thing we see in scripture. It's occasionally, it's moments. But maybe this, this Christmas you wanna fast from something in anticipating the coming king. Maybe there's something you wanna work on and you wanna give up something. Wherever you are, okay, I encourage you, between you and God, pray, ask for his leading through the spirit, and as you're convicted, okay, walk in boldness and encourage in following the leading of the Spirit. Jesus over everything. That's the song we're gonna sing. Jesus over everything. And it's not just a song. We're, we, we already sang that song. It's not just a song that we sing. We pray it. Jesus, you are over everything. Make this true in my life. 
You're over death. You're over guilt. You're over pain. May you be over everything in my life. And so we pray that as we sing it together. Let's pray. Father, you are the king who sent his son for us, and you are worthy. You are worthy. God, I pray against the wandering of our hearts to pursue other things, to depend on other things, to lean on other things. And God, I pray that you'd be the center. You'd be our foundation. You are more than enough. God, help us to to learn to depend on you. Help us to learn to anticipate your coming. Help us learn to treasure you. Use fasting, Father. Like we've been told to do, use it, Father, that we may lean into you in all these ways. God, I pray that you'd lead me as I pursue what this looks like for my own life. I pray that your spirit would work in each individual here, that you would lead and work in ways that are appropriate and healthy or that are convicting and true and and forming for us. And I pray that you would work in our own hearts and in our lives, that we may be your disciples who value you more than anything else. It's in the name of your son we pray, amen.